Hi, this is the Dungeoness, and you're listening to the Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In the last chapter, Sister Araness explains to the companions why she has sought them out. She wants to get back the holy symbol Belloc confiscated from her and put under guard at the Tower of the City Watch. Belloc's death has provided her with an opportunity to do so, or at least that's what she believes. Here is her plan. She will disguise Shawnee and Catsbane as initiates and have them accompany her on her weekly visits to the tower. The idea is that while she studies the item, the guards will become habituated to their presence and, hopefully, they will grow careless enough to provide an opportunity for Araness to get back the symbol. She has not yet explained the rest of her plan, nor has she shared anything learned about the symbol, but Araness has said that their next visit to the tower will be their last. While studying one evening at the church where he now resides and lives the life of an initiate, Catsbane has a run-in with the creature that Savon has become. From that meeting, he gets the vague sense that something isn't right, but it's not enough for him to take any action just yet. Finally, the episode closes with King Culfrey paying a visit to his dungeon. As he amuses himself with one of the prisoners, we begin to see what kind of a person he really is. Dramatis Personae King Culfrey. King Culfrey is the monarch of Camertine, the 15th in a line of kings and queens that stretches back some six centuries to the time when Murak brought the Camors from the east and settled on the site of an ancient ruin. He is the first child of many by King Cernan and his wife, the Zacian-born Sunjua, who ruled as queen after her husband's death. Culfrey, called Culfrey the Terrible by his subjects, is an unpopular king. He has presided over no major achievements in his lifetime. He has produced only one child, the Princess Lafazia, with his wife, with whom he shares an obvious mutual dislike, and he is generally considered temperamental, cruel, and slow-witted. In truth, he is all of these things, though Culfrey's cruelty borders on sadism. The king enjoys watching torture and seems to lack anything approaching empathy. In short, he has a personality that is only made possible by a lifetime surrounded by sycophants and complete insulation against responsibility or consequences. Culfrey, at 62 years old, is no longer in his prime. He has long, straight brown hair that is beginning to gray at the temples, small, dark eyes, and sharp features. He is slight of build, weighing just 140 pounds. Moreover, he is short of stature. Culfrey stands only 5 foot 6 inches tall, and he has always been extremely self-conscious about his height. He's almost always seen in the presence of children when making public appearances, as he believes that standing amongst them makes him look taller. The debacle at Bertram Square put a serious dent in the royal coffer, and recently, Culfrey made the decision to increase taxes. New taxes are never popular, 
but new taxes at the beginning of winter come across as unnecessarily punitive to the people of Silmoral, who are beginning to truly hate their king. Culfrey is only marginally aware of his lack of popularity. He certainly doesn't perceive any threat to his leadership, but there is one. The embers of rebellion are beginning to smoke, and unless things change soon, it will not be long before there is fire. Today as I play this game, typing up the script as I go, it is January 1st of 2023. Even though I know this will not be heard by anybody until February, I still gotta say, Happy New Year everyone. And you know what would be a great way to start the year running? A character level up, that's what. Today Sean A reaches level 4. Wow, she is really getting there, isn't she? She's even graduated from basic D&D and is now into the expert rules. I can't deny that my PCs have been enjoying a run of incredible good luck recently. I wonder if I can push that good luck just a little further as I make some rolls for this brave young thief who has really started to take up residence in my heart. Let's find out. We begin with new hit points. Thieves only get a d4, so I'm not expecting fireworks here. The roll. A 2. Well, at least she gets a plus 1 from her constitution bonus. Her hit points go up to 16. Let's hope for better rolls as I try for attribute increases, beginning with strength. A 4. Nope. Intelligence. Another four. Wisdom. Does spending all that time in a church rub off on her? A five means it does not. Well, she's not exactly the most pious person, is she? Dexterity. A six here could really make an impact. Uh, another four on the die. Constitution. There it is. A six. Huh. Is it that good old-fashioned Church of the Sacred Flame diet and exercise regimen? She has been going to bed early lately, you know. Her 13 goes to a 14. I don't think that changes her bonus, but I'm going to check. Hang on. No, it won't become a plus two until the score reaches 16. Still, I'm very pleased to get a six anywhere. And there's a chance for one more. Rolling for Charisma. A two. Oh well. Since I have the rule book right here, I'm going to quickly check to see where her thief skills are at. I'll include the bonus imparted by her magical gloves in the numbers. Her chance to open locks is a 40. Find remove traps, 25. Picking pockets, 45%. Move silently, 35. Climb walls, 90. Hide in shadows, 25. And hear noise, a 1, 2, or 3 on a d6. I don't ask me why they didn't put that one in percentile. It's, it's a weird one. Hmm. I admit that I'm a little underwhelmed by these numbers. Shane would still be more of a danger to herself than an effective thief if she attempted most of these. I guess that's why thieves advance so quickly. Still in all, a level up is a level up, and that is always a good thing. It came at a good time, too, because I think Erin S. is about to press the button on her plan to get back the holy symbol. Let's get back into the story and find out what happens. Chapter 24 Part 1 Day 100 Morning Party status Yellowfly 19 of 19 hit points Cole 18 of 18 Shawnee 16 of 16. Catsbane, 8 of 8. Spells available. Catsbane has memorized, read languages, magic missile, and mirror image. Catsbane swayed on his feet and gripped the back of the pew in front of him for support. He hadn't slept more than a few hours the night before, having been troubled by bizarre dreams. Normally, the young mage sang along with the other men and women of the choir. It wasn't just for show. He actually enjoyed the way their voices lifted into the upper vault of the nave and lingered there with long reverberant tails. 
some clever architect had built the vaulted ceiling of the temple in such a way that it made the space below sound twice its size. There were only 40 of them in the choir, but it sounded like many more. But today he had trouble remembering the words. He felt hot flashes, and his brain was foggy. The dreams had been so real, and so very strange. In them, he had met with the beautiful novice from the library, and, without a word, they had embraced passionately. Even though it had only been a dream, he could still remember very specific details that had made it feel completely real. The smell of her hair, the heat of her breath, and the taste and wetness of her lips and tongue, the soft curves of her body pushing urgently against him. But at some point in the dream, things had changed. It had transformed into a nightmare. The novice's floral perfume had become a smell like sour milk. Her breath had likewise become rank. He could not pull himself away and instead felt himself being pulled somehow directly into her, as though she were absorbing him, consuming him. He could feel sharp fingernails piercing his shoulder blades. And then he had awoken in a twisted pile of cold sheets soaked through with sweat. Although Catsbane didn't know it, most of the men and some of the women of the church had experienced similar dreams over the past few weeks. After prayers and hymns were done, Catsbane and Shawnee had not gone to study scripture, nor had they gone to their chores. Instead, they made their way to Sister Araness's private rooms, because today was the day. The high priestess opened the door when they knocked and beckoned them inside. Brothers Eckhart and Targrim were already there, seated at a table and speaking in quiet tones. They nodded at Catsbane and Shawnee, who nodded back as they entered. As they took their seats, Shawnee turned to Catsbane and whispered, You look awful. The mage returned a weak smile and was about to explain when Araness set a bag with something heavy and metallic inside on the table. Still standing, she addressed them all. Today is the day. Opening the bag, she produced a metallic disc that looked almost exactly like the holy symbol of the tower. No one there was fooled by the fake, but it might pass as the real thing to someone who had not studied it. This one was copper and was covered on one side with colored glass, whereas the genuine item was made of red gold and featured diamonds, citrines, and sapphires in the shape of a radiant sun. Shane, you will make the switch. The rest of you have roles to play as well. Additionally, I'll have people on the outside watching to make sure everything is moving along as it should. Look to your courage and your faith. It is vital that we do not fail. May Sadal watch over us. When I imagined Sister Araness blessing the party just then, I hadn't imagined her actually casting the spell, Bless, but she is the High Priestess of the Church of the Sacred Flame, and those spells might prove useful, or even crucial, in the next few hours. Certainly the Bless spell, but others too, potentially. How about Brothers Eckhart and Taragrim? They might be able to help in the same way. Hmm, time to make a few decisions. I won't bother rolling up any of these NPCs yet, but I will decide their level and spells available. I'll say the two Elder Priests are each second level. Eckhart will have the spell Light, and Taragrim will have Detect Evil. I doubt those spells will come into play, but you never know. Sister Araness is the head of her order. I'm going to say that she is at least fourth level and likely higher. I'll go with a d4 plus three. I've rolled a one, so she's just level four. Wow, Sadal's influence on Silmoral really has faded over the years, it would seem. Araness will get two first level spells in one second. I think she'll take Cure Light Wounds, Detect Magic, and, you know, I think Silence could be more interesting than Bless. I might come to regret this choice considering this is an audio-only medium, but what the heck, I'm doing it. 
Silence, 15-foot radius, it is. I'd like you to join me on a journey into danger and mystery. Are you looking for an action and intrigue-packed solo RPG podcast? One that tells a compelling story and then pulls back the curtain. The Lone Adventurer is split 50-50. Half is a dramatic audiobook-style story set in a dark fantasy magitech world. And half is a step-by-step guide. A guide to how the drama has been created, how solo RPGs work, and how you can create solo adventures of your own. M. Guns gave this review. I have listened to a few different iterations of fantasy storytelling, and this one rates at the top, along with me, myself, and I. And Mr. Pizzle had this to say, Carl has really knocked it out of the park with this one. Amazing production, and pulls you into the story right off the bat. You can find The Lone Adventurer on the podcatcher of your choice, on YouTube, or at theloneadventurer.podbean.com. The adventure is just getting started. I hope you'll join me. Chapter 24 Part 2 Day 100 Noon Party status The party status is unchanged. It was snowing, and their boots made crunching sounds as they made their way through the thurry gate and up the winding road. In the distance behind them, the noon hour bells were ringing. These bells were not those of the Church of the Sacred Flame, but the much larger and closer bells of the cathedral. The knell calling Vesaluna's faithful to prayer continued all the way up to the city watchtower's main door. There, an attendant guard recognized them immediately. He was wearing a thick woolen cloak over bulky padded armor, but his nose and cheeks were red from the cold. Once inside, Sister Araness and her retinue stamped their feet to dislodge the clinging wet snow. A second guard, who must have been watching their approach from the window, came down to receive them. Reverend Priestess, said the guard in greeting. He scanned the group mildly and, seeing the same four faces he had seen every week, waved them upstairs. You shall find everything I order, I warrant. Sister Araness nodded her approval and followed behind the guard, with the two brothers, Catsbane and Shawnee, in tow. Yellowfly would barely have recognized Balak's old quarters. The tall bookcase and the large table were there, but all of Balak's books had been removed. The map with the ring-shaped paperweights and the stacks of paper were gone as well. Things looked different to Araness and her company, too. The first couple of times they had used the room to study the confiscated holy symbol under guard, it had been almost completely empty. Now there were signs that the new captain, whomever that was, had started moving in. There were some puddles on the floor where somebody had tracked snow in and it had melted. There was a worn trunk in the corner, along with a pair of finely made boots. A hand mirror, a ledger, and some scroll cases were placed haphazardly atop the various shelves of the bookcase. A taxidermied owl, frozen in flight, was perched on the uppermost shelf, and its glass-bead eyes stared down balefully over the party as they took their seats. The guard disappeared into one of two side rooms, just as he had on each of their previous visits, and quickly returned with a familiar box of carved applewood. He put the box in front of them and removed the lid. Then he stood back to allow the priestess to study the item at her liberty, but he did not leave the room. He took a position by the same window Yellowfly had once broken in through, and divided his time between dutifully observing them and staring out at the falling snow. God, said Araness, after what she must have thought was a suitable amount of time. 
Shane, wearing the Lord Rabbit's elegant gloves, had removed the holy symbol of red gold from its box, and the five of them had prayed and talked over it in whispers for about half an hour. Reverend Priestess, replied the guard, looking over from the window. Guard, I wonder if you would be so good as to fetch me a candle. My eyes are not what they once were. Ereness had never asked for anything before. Shane hoped it wouldn't raise suspicion. It didn't. Apologies, Reverend Priestess, but my orders are to remain in your presence at all times. The former and the current captain were very clear on this. If you wish, you may look for some candles in that room there. The guard pointed to the other side room door. Ah, yes, gratitude. Brother, would you be so kind? Catsbane rose to his feet and bowed his head to Sister Araness. He crossed quickly to the side room door and opened it before disappearing inside. After a few moments, he returned with a fat tallow candle on a brass candlestick. He put the items on the table near the high priestess and took his seat while she nodded her thanks. It was unfortunate that they couldn't make the guard leave. That would have made the whole thing much easier. But they had planned to do things the hard way, too. Sister Araness picked her satchel off the floor by her feet and put it on the table. She rummaged around inside and produced a little tinderbox. This she handed to Catsbane, who lit it and transferred the flame to the candle with a splint. After, the priestess returned the tinderbox to the satchel, and as she did so, made sure to position the fake holy symbol within on top, so it would be easy to reach when the guard once again turned his back to stare at the window. Presently, he did so. Shawnee reached into the satchel, and had only just touched the false symbol, when the latch to the office door clicked loudly, and the door groaned open. Shawnee snatched her hand back from the satchel as though it had burned her. The guard at the window moved immediately to the door, standing so he could speak to the person at the other side while conspicuously keeping his eyes on the companions. The other person was just out of view. The guard nodded, said, Yes, Captain, and returned, closing the door behind him. Shawnee, who was leaning half off her chair, caught the briefest glimpse of Bellick's replacement. He was a man in his early thirties, with shoulder-length brown hair. His face was narrow, and his nose was crooked, as though it had once been broken. His mouth was a sour line of disdain. He seemed oddly familiar, but she only saw him for a second. She quickly righted herself on her chair as the guard approached the table. Forgive my rudeness, Reverend Priestess, but my captain will be needing this room shortly. He requires that you conclude your business here within the next quarter of an hour. To her credit, Araness kept her composure with perfect grace. Then I shall ask you to leave us to our work, guardsman. The guard turned and nodded, moving back to his spot by the window and resuming his former intermittent observations. Shane looked at the satchel, then back at the guard. She needed to act. There was no longer time to wait for the perfect moment. Shane needs to switch the fake symbol for the real one without the guard noticing. It's a pretty straightforward sleight of hand, but I'm not trying to suggest that it'll be easy. One might reasonably rule that the task would be so much the harder for having a fairly observant guard standing so close, but I think these negative factors are mitigated by the groundwork the group has laid, having visited several times in the past, and being deliberately boring to make the guard disinterested and easily distracted. All in all, I'm going to rule that the positives cancel out the negatives and make the role unmodified. I'll be rolling against Shawnee's pickpocket skill. With her magic gloves, she will need a 45 or under on a D percentile. If she rolls higher than a 90, the guard will notice the attempt and, suffice it to say, that would be very bad. If she misses the first roll but is not caught in the act, I'll give her one more shot, but a disadvantage. This is to reflect the short window of time they've been given to wrap up their study session. 
if Shawnee fails both roles but isn't caught? I have no idea. Honestly, I haven't thought that far enough ahead, though I'm sure Sister Aranes has. Well, as usual, I'm just putting off a dangerous role. I should take the priestess's advice and look to my courage and faith. Where's my dice? Ah, here we are. A mismatched set of d10s. These will do. Here's the roll for attempt number one. Bingo! I rolled a 30. This means she smoothly makes the swap on her very first try. Way to go, Shawnee. I never doubted you for a minute. Chapter 24 Part 3 Day 100 Early Evening Party Status The party status is unchanged. Cole wrinkled his nose and scratched his head, saying, I feel kind of left out, to be honest. When do I get to put on a disguise and rob the tower? They were back at their little apartment over the bakery. Catsbane and Shane had just finished telling their companions about their stint living among the clerics as novice initiates. Of course, the highlight of the story was Shane's brilliant finesse work at the tower. Whip! Right under his nose! Explained Catsbane, laughing. <laughs> I barely saw her do it myself! Cole and Yellowfly were hungry for information. They'd been in touch with their companions only a couple of times, and only indirectly since the job began a few weeks ago. Most of their work had consisted in tailing Aranessa's study group to and from the tower, and putting out constant feelers within their guild to learn if anyone knew about recent or upcoming Weeping Eye moves. The two men never went near the tower. They always observed from a distance. On the day of the final visit, Cole had been watching from an alley several buildings away. He wasn't close enough to see their faces when they emerged, but he had none of their success all the same. They had agreed on a signal. If Shawnee walked on Catsbane's left, the mission was still unaccomplished, but if she walked on his right, that meant they had pulled off the job and would be coming home soon. And they were. It took only a few hours for them to debrief, collect their belongings, and depart the Church of the Sacred Flame. Aranes covered their exit by telling a few of the looser-lipped clerics they'd been discovered in a compromising position together and asked to leave. Naturally, the rumor spread like wildfire. Did you learn much about the symbol then? Yellowfly had wanted to know. Not much, no, replied Catsbane. Uh, studying it at the tower was mostly a waste of time, unless, of course, Aranes isn't sharing what she knows, which I suppose is her prerogative. In any case, I'm certain she'll learn a lot more now that she can examine it amongst her own resources. The library at the church is rather impressive. Hmm, replied Yellowfly, not especially keen to hear about the library. No, yes, continued Catsbane, unmindful of his disinterest. I learned quite a lot, especially about unholy magic, something I admit I knew little about before, and about demons and devils and the other denizens of the lower plains. The library is full of interesting tomes. Oh yes, fascinating, remarked Yellowfly, looking bored. And I did come across that name, Azorazul, once. He, or it, was once a human, as it turns out. Um, a, a wizard, very powerful, but evil to the core, of course. Upon his death, his soul was apparently dragged to the underworld in payment for knowledge and power he'd received during his life. There's some connection with his name and King Vincis as well, but I wasn't able to find any details. Well, isn't that something? Yellowfly was inspecting his fingernails. Upon realizing that Catsbane was finished, he looked up and smiled. Now, Shonay, you are the hero of the moment. What shall we have for dinner tonight as a reward? It's your choice. Anything you want.
between the lines. Deities, demons, and devils. Listeners of Tale of the Manticore do not need to know anything about Season 1 in order to follow the current story. That said, the universe in which the story is set is a cumulative universe. The events of Season 2 are happening a couple of decades after those of Season 1, but they take place in the same world, the world of Merith. In Season 1, I introduced a whole pantheon of gods and goddesses. I won't go through all of them here. I just want to highlight the aspects of religion that might affect our story going forward. Catsbane almost bored Yellowfly to death talking about this stuff, so I promise to keep it brief. We'll begin with the most popular religion in Silmoral and work out from there. The biggest congregations and the biggest cathedral are dedicated to the worship of Vesaluna, the mother. She represents life, renewal, and healing. Her worship has been the prominent religion in Silmoral for almost a century. Previous to that, it was Sidal. Sidal is an aspect of the sun god, and he represents fire, light, and purity. His order is more conservative than that of Vesaluna, and it still has very devoted adherents, even outside the four or five dozen members of the Church of the Sacred Flame. Worship of Sidal is actually more common than worship of Vesaluna in the satellite towns and villages outside Silmoral's walls. This is most easily observed in Mirpool, which still has a church to the sun god, but only a little shrine devoted to the mother goddess. Vesaluna and Sidal are not the only two gods in Merith's pantheon. There are dozens of minor gods and patron saints. Chartoon is one of those, and the other vocations have their champions too. There's a minor deity for merchants, builders, and musicians, to name just a few. Outside of Camertine, things are a little different. The dwarves, what's left of them, have their single god. The Zacians to the east and the Camaranthians to the west have their own pantheons too. Finally, there are beings of unholy power. These range from fallen gods, to spirits of the once mighty, to devils and demons. Very little is known about these entities. But there are those who worship them in secret. The Night Mother is one such worshipper of dark forces, but she is not alone. In fact, the forces of evil are slowly, quietly, growing stronger and stronger. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you enjoyed the show and would like to lend your support, there are lots of ways to help. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks so much to everyone who has supported the show in these ways. I'd like to share one of your kind reviews right now. This one is on Apple Podcasts. It was posted by Stats Scott. Stats Scott writes, Great podcast, excellent quality and engaging storyline. Story keeps moving with unexpected developments while still keeping continuity of episodes over time. Also gives some insight into the choices slash mechanics he is using. Thanks for your generous review. I really appreciate your taking the time to write that, Stat Scott. This season, I'm working with a rough history outline that I made with the pendulum tool. I wonder, is continuity and lore better when there's something solid behind it, or is freeform better? Perhaps it's impossible to tell. I know that the writer side of me is enjoying the existence of some pre-existing lore. At any rate, thanks once again for your support. Also supporting the show with their talent is my lovely cast of voice actors. Lyrica from the One Hour One-Offs podcast is back in the role of Sister Erin Find Lyrica on Instagram at One Hour One-Offs or on Twitter at One Hour One-Offs. The Tower Guard with whom she interacts is performed by Stephen of the upcoming solo play TTRPG podcast, No Death Saves. I'm looking forward to that. Cat's Bane is voiced by the always excellent Kyle. Find his work on SoundCloud free for anyone to use. You can also search for him on Spotify, Bandcamp, or other music stores. 
Thanks to all three of you for your contribution to the show. If anyone listening wants to get in touch with me, I'm on the usual socials at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related things, like art, maps, tables, crafts, and show notes. You can find the blog at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore. It's the story where chaos rules. Are you struggling to schedule game nights, or worse yet, having them cancel at the last minute, turning your tears of joy into tears of despair? Yes! Well then, happy Tuesday! My name's Nick. And my name is Alan. And we are Into the Dungeon, a duet-style actual play TTRPG podcast with one GM and one player. Don't let anybody tell you that size matters. Oh no. And come, give us a listen to see how much fun a TTRPG can be with just two people. We release a new episode every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Central European time. Make sure to visit us at www.i2td.com. That's the digit two. Until then, farewell and hope to see you again as we delve into the dungeon. dungeon.